streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show as always. And we've got some big news for the Oregon Duck men's basketball program. And boy, it's a big one. Uh, Dana Altman and the Oregon Ducks have done it again. They've landed a big time transfer from Quincy Guerrier of Syracuse. This is an all-conference ACC player this past season. He announced his verbal commitment on May 20th, uh, 1 p.m. Pacific time. And he commits to the Oregon Ducks, Eric, um, over offers and finalists of Memphis, Illinois, and Arizona State. And Oregon's getting a guy that's six foot seven, 220 pounds. He's Canadian. He's from Montreal. He averaged almost 14 points this past season for the Orange, eight and a half rebounds, shot almost 50% from the field. Uh, on three pointers, he made 31%. And I think his percentages would be better um, in, in an offense more suited, kind of like what Oregon does there. Also blocked a shot a game. This is a pretty monumental get. One of the best transfers that was available this offseason. And once again, Dan Altman and his staff have reloaded the Oregon men's basketball program. Yeah, I think this one, I hope it doesn't go under the radar how big of a deal an addition like this. This is like an all-conference guy from one of the best conferences in, in the country in the ACC. He was third team this last year. Matt ran through the stats, and you, you put it on film. I've got a film review on DuckTerritory.com. Go check it out. There's there's a really good video, about 10 minutes. I know there are also games for those interested. You can probably go find some on YouTube, just full-game videos. I know some of our posters have, have talked about doing that already. So if you, if you want to take a real deep dive, do that. But just the, the the cliff notes here is this is like Matt said, six, seven, two twenty. He played primarily kind of almost inside at Syracuse. So he's yeah. experienced in that role. And I think Oregon, we'll talk about his role at Oregon in a second. I think that's probably something we'll continue to see. Um, to me, it's a, it's a kind of a Eugene Amarui addition. Um, a player who is, I think, really active on the glass, can score and finish around the rim, who defensively, um, you, you probably won't anchor your defense quite like what Amarui could do, but can defend the rim, like Matt said, one block per game. He's not like a freaky athlete, but he's long, and he's, he's, he gets vertical and, and, def- and protects the rim really well. Um, and then there's the – I think one of the things that's interesting, Matt, is, is the three-point shooting because yeah. his freshman year at Syracuse, he was three for 24. <laughs> that's not very good. Last year he was 23 of 74, and that's about 32%, which is – not quite what Oregon's players the last couple of years have shot, but like right in the range there. And if you can make about a third of your three-point shots, that's a pretty good clip and that'll work. So it'll be interesting to see how much of the three-point shot we see from him in Oregon and also be interested to see how much improvement he continues to make considering he was you know, shooting like less than 15% as a freshman and last year doubled it up. So I think this is a great addition from that perspective. I think you get some length, some athleticism, some versatility. I think if Oregon goes small, he could probably, in theory, play the five. If Oregon goes big, he could play the two or the three. Yeah. Um, so just I think a, a player that can fit a lot of different holes for Dana Altman. CBS Sports, uh, they ranked Quincy Guerrier as the fourth best available transfer at the moment of his verbal commitment, saying Guerrier is a former four-star prospect who took major strides as a sophomore at Syracuse, uh, went through the averages. His outside shot is still developing, which is just like Eric said, 
Uh, but Guerrier's size and versatility make him a, a high-profile addition to the transfer market. ESPN, they ranked Quincy Guerrier as the 26th overall prospect this offseason. Committed, uncommitted players all included in that, in that list. Uh, and what makes that interesting is he's 26th and Oregon's, uh, they've got another guy higher up the list. Devion Harmon is 14th. Uh, in, in that ESPN list. And so Oregon has two guys in the top 26 of available transfers, which is a pretty significant addition. And then the athletic, uh, they also rank their transfers as best available at this time. And Quincy Guerrier at the moment of his commitment was sixth in this uh, ranking by the athletic. And he, in that story, it says he has a real power at six foot eight as a bully ball scorer, but to actualize his talent, he's going to be, need to become a better shooter. There just aren't enough consistency in regard to that threat he presents defenses. And at the high major level, teams had a much easier time loading up to slow him down when he tried to drive and post. Right. He is an older guy, having already turned 22, so it wouldn't be a stunner to see him go pro. But if Guerrier does get the jumper down, it will help him play more of a secondary role while also providing a scoring presence in spurts. He could really help a good team in the right situation where he's down as the mismatch foreman. And that last spot, Eric, by the athletic, I think is exactly what Oregon's doing. He is going to be a mismatch nightmare from a foreman perspective you know, like you said, he, he gives Oregon a lot of options. He could play center. He could play forward. He could even play guard if Oregon wants to go big. And so I, I look at this and think, you mentioned it, Eugene Almarui. I, I think that comp is 100% in play. And this is kind of what Oregon's going to be getting with. You know, they're basically reloading Eugene Almarui with another player that's Eugene Almarui. Well, I think he just fits the like prototype of what Dane Altman likes, right? Six, yeah. six to six, eight guys that are athletic that can play a lot of spots. And, and, you know, I mean, I mean, you saw what Oregon did last year, they play pretty positionless. And this is Gary is a guy who we said, like, you know, we, we talk about it being positionless. He could play all over the court though. I think he yeah. can fit into almost every lineup. And that's the kind of guy you like to have. And you like to have a lot of them on the roster. And, and obviously Altman's had quite a few of those before. And I, I guess I will be curious to see from a shooting perspective, his, his improvement there. And, just from a team perspective, I think that's an area they still need to to kind of address a little bit. And, and we can talk maybe later about some other players that might add from a shooting perspective. But like if he's able to even if he's not able to shoot the three at that much better of a level and he's just kind of like national average of low 30 percent and makes a couple of game or maybe fewer than that. I still think he's going to be valuable as an addition because of his ability to you know, attack the offensive glass to score around the basket, really active in terms of getting to the rim, you know, in terms of cutting, in terms of setting screens and rolling, that kind of thing. I I think he's valuable even if the three-point shot doesn't necessarily come along much more than it it already has. The, the, I think the thing that's really going to stand out for Oregon and how he fits here is from a shooting perspective, he's probably going to be their third or fourth option from like a three-point shooting guy, meaning defenses are, are going to they're going to say okay we're going to live with giving Quincy Garrier the open three-point shot because we don't want real Richardson we don't want Devion Harmon and we don't want Eric Williams to be guys that get spot up open three-pointers where their feet are set and they've got no hand in their face to, to, to shoot that 
And I think that's why we could see Quincy Garrier's shooting percentages go up because he's definitely a guy, when you watch him shoot, it's decent. Yeah, it's, it's not bad. It's a, no, a good-looking stroke. And if you let him set his feet, and, and he's the guy that you have to sag off of to, to worry about other players, his shooting percentages, I think, will, will go up because he's going to get better looks and he's not going to be rushed and he's not going to have a hand in the face. He's also a player with some opportunity to stay around for a minute because yeah. of the because of the NCAA rule. He could play three years yeah. at Oregon. Um, he might play as little as one. Maybe he's good. I know but there's talk, as it said in that review that I think the Athletic mentioned of him, maybe looking at the NBA sooner than later. A lot of that will depend upon how he plays next year, Matt. But um, these are the type of transfers that have really benefited Oregon. You think in the past, guys that stick around for a couple of years that are veterans that have been successful at other schools. I just think this really fits the mold of what – has worked for Dana Altman, and, and if you get him for two years, that's a huge win. And if somehow you get him for three, by that third year, he's probably your best player and, and maybe a conference you know, player of the year or first-team guy. Yeah, Quincy Garrier will be 22 this season, so that's something to track. Um, it wouldn't shock me if he's at Oregon for two years. Um, I expect him to be at Oregon for one, but it wouldn't blow me away if, if he was a two-year guy. And when you get to that third year, though, I, I think that's where – it probably is going to be unlikely because by that time he'd be like 25 going into the NBA. Um, tough to see that happening, but you never know. But like Eric said, this is going to be a guy who's got multiple years of eligibility left. Uh, probably best case scenario, he's with Oregon for two. Um, and if he goes off to the NBA after one year, it probably means, Eric, he's had a really, really good year for Oregon. And as a team, Oregon collectively has also had a really good year. Um, definitely on the eyeballs of an NBA scouts for sure. Um, so that it's, it's going to, this is a big get for, for Dana Altman and the Oregon basketball program. And, and now that they do have Quincy Garrier into the, the rotation, if you will, for Oregon basketball, uh, there's Eric, I think there's a lot of discussion now of what does Oregon's lineup, what's their best lineup look like? What, what uh, rotations could we see? Because this gives them options now. Like, like you mentioned in his film review, he, he can play all over the court offensively. He can defend all over the court defensively. So that gives you versatility, which is what has made you know some of Dana Altman's best teams, Oregon's best teams with Dana Altman as a coach, uh, truly be elite is their versatility. And we threw this out there on Twitter. Um, what – are your you know projected starting lineups and we've gotten a couple in we've gotten some good ones chris o'connor uh, on twitter says richardson Harmon, williams Gurrier, and, and biddle five-star freshman nathan biddle trevor harding responds will richardson davion Harmon, eric williams uh, quincy garrier and frank kepnog uh, and then also he asked this question we'll address it here in a little bit if we get young does that move him into the starting lineup and who does it push out um, Evan Lewis says a, a very similar lineup, Richardson, Harmon, Eric Williams, Guerrier, and, and Thale Dante. Um, Liam Van Dufflin also follows that up with that lineup as well. Um, and then Yov Kaufman says that uh, Oregon definitely needs a backup point guard. Uh, let's discuss first the rotations here. And, and I think what's so awesome, and I said it before, they've got options, Eric. And I think – a lot of these options, you, you, you sit here and say, that's a top 25, that's a top 10, that's a top 15 caliber roster. What, you know, and you could rotate five or six different guys 
in and out of this group. With where things are at, Matt, people on Twitter seem to think one through four, like all the guys you all the posts you had there, exactly the same, exact same rotation of Richardson, Harmon, Williams, Gary, A. It seemed like the center position. And you, I'd like to get your opinion on this is the one that's maybe most up for grabs and you have some candidates there. We didn't hear Isaac Johnson's name mentioned, but he's another player who plays that position who's at least going to be on the team. Does that seem fair though, that one through four, that's probably what it's going to be. And that maybe the only position that's in flux is the center spot or, or do you think there's maybe some more mixing and matching to, to be done in the backcourt and in the power forward spot? Yeah. I mean, I definitely think it, it boils down to like, what, what do you want to see from a lineup perspective and a makeup perspective um, if you're Dana Altman, because at the yeah. end of the year, this past season, when they went to the sweet 16, some of this was by, you know, they had no choice because of injury didn't follow Dante, but they started five guys that were six, six and six foot five. And against a team like Iowa, where they didn't have like a shot blocking center and Luca Garza, um, who was maybe not, who was nearly immobile as we were <laughs> expecting him to be. I mean, he, yeah. he, he could not guard Oregon's forwards. Oregon feasted. It didn't matter that they were 6'6". Six, six. You know, Iowa had no answer for Oregon's athleticism. But then the next game when they played USC and they had a team that featured two seven-footers that were athletic, they had a couple other guys that were like 6'7". You know, they, they matched Oregon's height and athleticism, and if not, they were even taller than Oregon – the Ducks struggled with that length. So I think that first decision is what do you want to do? What's best long-term perspective-wise from this for this program? Do you want to go sh- small again like you did this past season and go uh, Gary A and Williams and Rivaldo Soares and Devion Harmon and Will Richardson? Or do you decide to throw in some size? And if you throw in size, then it gets interesting. Do you go with – Frank Kepnog, who Dana Altman said at the end of the year, he made a mistake in not playing him more. And uh, Eric, call me crazy. I'm not saying he's going to be a first-round draft pick tomorrow, but I think I think Kepnog has NBA potential. Like his athleticism and his size is pretty tremendous. And if he can just develop any kind of mid-range jumper, his physicality and his defense and his rebounding will carry him to the NBA. Um, he won't be a superstar. Um, at least right now, but he's got that potential in him. And Folly Dante looked really good before he got hurt and missed the season uh, last year. Uh, he played in six games, and in that seventh game he got hurt. He was turning the corner um, and early on in that year, and then he got hurt. Or what about the freshman? I mean, <laughs> Nate Biddle's a five-star, six-foot-eleven yeah. guy that can shoot threes and, and hit and block shots and rebound. And then Isaac Johnson is a very similar player, but two years older, that's coming off a religious mission. Um, So I I think that's ultimately the first decision you have to make is, do we go small or do we we go big or or can we maybe mix them together? It seems hard, and I might be totally off on this, and maybe the end of the season that you go smaller. It just seems hard not to start one of those three guys you mentioned because I think between Kepnong, Dante, and Biddle, I think all three of those guys have a chance to be NBA players. And I'd probably say pretty high odds that they at least all see the NBA floor at some point, even if it's a short stint. Like Biddle, I think, probably has a ceiling as a first-round guy at some point based on his recruiting ranking. And I think Dante and Kepnong have ceilings to be at least second-round picks based upon their size and athleticism and all that. And if they can, like you said, Matt, develop more offensive shooting or or, or what have you to be more effective on that side, not just be a a rim runner or, or a rebounder. 
then they can maybe elevate themselves more, but they have the frames. That's what's so crazy about this, this conversation is you're talking about three potential NBA players at center for one spot. And that means two guys coming off the bench are potential NBA caliber right. bigs. And that's a really good problem to have. I think you're right too, in terms of like there, I mean, so my, my, my gut and my, probably my, like, you know, my heart is probably like, you probably play one of those NBA guys at center, but I'm also just watched this team a year, this last season, make a good run and probably would have been a deeper run if they hadn't been matched up with USC where they played basically nobody that size and were really successful. So I, I, it's, it's an interesting dynamic to have with all that talent and size up front, but also the recent success without playing someone like that. I, I think for me, first off, you have to look at it and say, okay, and follow Dante, probably he's projected and on track to be healthy at the start of the year, but it's going to be like literally right at the start of the season. So I think, an idea yeah. that follow Dante instantly as your starting center. Um, I, I think that's kind of wishful thinking. He might, once he gets into that conditioning and really gets past a year's time of the injury, he might move back into the starting lineup. I, I think he's probably, um, from a fundamental and from a skills perspective, your most uh, advanced player at the the center position but i also and this is crazy because i think he i think he has nba potential but i also think he probably has the lowest ceiling of the four guys am i crazy in thinking that you think not totally not i mean it's not like the wildest thing i mean that that speaks more to the talent of the other guys than him though to me i mean i just think the upside of other guys feels greater maybe i don't think that's crazy i don't know if i like i'm 100 percent set on that but like you said that and i didn't go like that's crazy that's ridiculous so I, I think going into the year, I would start one of the four big guys. Same. Um, that's my thinking. You need some size out there just to bring some physicality and some rim protection. Um, I, I, I think probably it's going to be Frank Kepnog, um, sophomore, freshman, whatever we want to call him. Um, six foot 11 guy, super athletic really good rebounder, really good defender. I mean, he, he improved tremendously as the season went on this past year. And, you know, all, you know, the fact that Altman is already coming out saying he made mistakes and should have played him more minutes. He, he needed to be out there. I think that speaks volumes about his potential and what Oregon could be getting out of him. And then from there, I think it's Gary A at, at power forward, Eric Williams at small forward, Devion Harmon, at the, at one guard spot and Will Richardson at the other guard spot, which then means Eric, you're bringing a junior college all American off the bench and you're bringing a five-star power forward. That's six eleven and can shoot threes and block shots off the bench. Um, I, I think that is what makes Oregon's roster so impressive now is you're bringing an all American and a five-star off the bench. Let's circle back around to part of a question that was one of the Twitter things, which was, hey, Jacob Young, possible he's in the mix too, Matt. I mean, we, I mean, we're obviously not like reporting that as fact because he hasn't made an announcement, but that's been something that you've been on for a really long time, the possibility that Joseph Young's younger brother comes and joins the fray. Well, let's just hypothetically, that happens. Let's say he signs tomorrow and they now have, they're now pretty much you know, closed at the end. 
what does that do with the rotation? Do you see him as a starter? Does he take someone out? Is he, is he coming off the bench? Like, I mean, we, we've just, you just ran through the guys that they'd have off the bench is, is young a guy they would use in that role or is he a starter and, and who does he displace if he is? Yeah. Now with Quincy Guerrier uh, in the roster and in the plans for next season, I, and if you do add somebody, Eric, I think it has to be Jacob young. Like right now, looking at who, who is out there, um, who, who Oregon is recruiting, what they have on the roster right now. I think you're all in on Jacob Young right now. And I, I really don't think there's another prospect right now that justifies the same level of attention and focus for Oregon um, because of fit, because of talent, and because of current roster makeup. Like, I don't know if it's, if it's worth going out and, and finding a junior college guard. Like there's your minutes are going to be tight to begin with. And you don't want to upset somebody who's coming in thinking that, you know, he's going to play a lot right away. And he's probably not near the level of Oregon's other guards and is going to have to sit and, and be okay with five or 10 minutes a game to scraps essentially, just because Oregon's loaded. And so if you're going to add somebody into the mix, you need to find a guy that's comparable, if not better, than your guards that you have right now. And I think Jacob Young fits that. Um, I, I look at him and, and think this is a guy that that can defend multiple positions. He can play point. He can play shooting guard. He can hit threes. He can create for your teammates. He's a very good uh, defensive on-ball, off-ball guy, can, can get steals. So I think he fits what Oregon has on the roster and would look at this and think this is a guy that, that probably would push someone else out of the starting lineup. And I look at Oregon as, you know, Mario Cristobal the, 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 for the football team has often said that, Oh, we have six starters along the offensive line. Yeah. Right. Like he always talks about how they've got five, five guys that technically start. And then their top guy off the bench is always viewed as that sixth starter because they feel like they're that loaded. I think that's going to be the case if they sign mm -hmm. Jacob Young out of Rutgers, where he comes into the program, he probably starts to get him to commit to Oregon. It's not a guarantee, but it's probably a, hey, you're going to have a good chance at starting. And who do you pull off? Call me crazy, because I think this is a guy that was probably a top three or four player for most of the year before he got hurt and was involved in the COVID-19 protocols, Eric Williams. I think you pull him off wow. yeah. and make him your sixth man and basically tell him, hey, look, you are going to be the sixth man. You're still going to play 25, 30 minutes a game. Okay. And when we finish games off, you're going to be on the floor because it's going to be Quincy Garia, it's going to be you, it's going to be Richardson, it's it's going to be Young, and it's going to be Harmon. Like you're going to go small ball, similar to what we saw, um, you know, this past season with what I like to call the death lineup. Like every guy can play this every position essentially. Um, Oregon will be a little bit smaller with that with that unit because they'll have two guys that are six two, six three, but they'll still have the versatility in the positionless basketball. And I I, I think I think you got to find a guy that can handle the point because Harmon and Richardson are going to be your, you know, you're, you're probably your starting point guard and your starting shooting guard, but you need a third guy that can do that. And I'm not certain that Eric Williams and I'm not certain that Rivaldo Suarez 
is that type of a player um, who you, if Richardson gets hurt or if Quint, if, if Debian Harmon breaks his hand, you need a guy that you can take every, you know, you need to bring the ball up and you need to be able to handle the press. You need to get us into situations. You need to be able to run our press. And I think Jacob Young fits all of that criteria while also being able to play off the ball and doing it at a high level as well. I think it would make a lot of sense to you probably pull one of those experienced guys off the court there. And, and Williams makes the most sense, I think, based upon his relationship with the program and what he's done in the past already here. I would be curious to see if at some point, if that is your end of game closing lineup is going small, is if that is so successful at the end of games, do not at some point just employ that as a full-time starting, starting lineup, lineup. And, and move one of those bigs off the court. And, and I say that also recognizing that, th- that you look at other teams or programs that do that, who do usually play a smaller lineup at the end of the games. They also usually stick with their big, you know, a big start. I think about like the Golden State Warriors kind of being one of the first teams to really, you talk about lineup of depth of death. That was kind of, they kind of founded that with Draymond at the five, but that was a team that always started a bigger center to begin games. Jordan Bell, by the way, being one of those at one point. Um, so I think it may, maybe you'd stick with that, but I, I wonder if that group is so successful at the end of games, which I, I think it could be. And again, we're hypothetical because Jacob Young is not with the team yet. hasn't right. been determined, but if that is where it ends up, I, I do wonder at some point if, if you don't just go, hey, hey, like we've got some great size and that can be really effective in certain matchups, but we also already can tell like we've finished games best with this group. Let's just start with this group and, and kind of play a smaller lineup, even with that size. I kind of also think, Eric, like it's got to be Jacob Young or Bust, right? Like In terms of adding someone else? Yes. Yeah. Like I don't know if there's – if you look at the available guys that are out there right now um, – I just don't – I don't see somebody – I'm running through the list here of guys that make a ton of sense for Oregon to go out and sign and he be able to elevate the, you know, elevate the lineup and, and yet at the same time fit all the pieces. Like maybe if, if, if you can't get Jacob Young, maybe a Bryce Hamilton from UNLV, you know, 31% three-point – Shooter isn't the best, but he's also yeah. been asked the last couple of years to be the go-to guy for the running Rebels. And what does he do when he's, you know, the third or fourth option scoring the basketball, similar to Quincy Garrier? Um, he's also taller than than Jacob Young. He's like six foot four, six foot five, um, really good rebounder. But after after Bryce Hamilton, I don't know if there's a guy that you look at and say like. He fits our needs, being able to, you know, be a point and a shooting guard, can guard multiple positions, and is very similar in talent than what the rest of the, the roster that we have at the guard spot is because and it, it, I struggle with the idea that you're going to go out and, and, you know, get a, three, uh, a, a 2022 reclass or maybe a three-star commit that's still on the board um, or maybe it's a, a, a multi-year transfer that's, you know, trying to go up from a mid-major to a high-major level. And, you know, those are going to be the guys that are going to be signing with schools thinking, okay, I'm, I'm cool with not starting, but, you know, I want to play 20 minutes a game, 25 minutes a game. And that level of player isn't going to get those types of minutes out of Oregon. And so you might be in a position where after the year the guy leaves because he's, you know what, I'm not playing. And, you know, the roster's loaded as it is because Soros could be back next year. 
Richardson could be back next year, which I doubt. Harmon is probably going to be back next year. Eric Williams could be back next year. Quincy Garrier could be back next year. Um, and so it's looking at it like there's all this talent that's still coming back. And I'm already you know, only playing five or 10 minutes. I think that's what makes Jacob Young so good is, A, like he doesn't have an extra year after this. Like he's, he, he's using his extra year now. And he comes in, he's just as good as everyone else on the roster, and, and if not better than some. And so you're going to improve your roster and you can reload with a high school freshman in the 2022 class, like a Dior Johnson, who's a five-star combo guard that's put Oregon as top five today. Here's what I'll say is I think you learned it's to be careful in terms of additions by what happened with Aaron Estrada this yeah. last year, right? I mean, Estrada probably fits the mold of what you're talking about mm -hmm. in terms of a guy. If you don't get Jacob Young, that would be the kind of addition you'd get possibly. Somebody who'd be asked to play five, 10 minutes. Well, Aaron Estrada saw the writing on the wall, realized that was his role for 21 and 22 and took off basically without ever really playing at Oregon. I know he played like what, five or six games, yeah, maybe a little more, but like, and he never played a very big role. That's the risk you run. And then guess what? I mean, like, and it's not necessarily a terrible risked reward thing there of like, Hey, you bring a guy in for a year. He doesn't pan out. doesn't necessarily hurt you. And then you have to find someone else the next, but is it also worth that sort of risk for the other party? Like, is, 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 is there not going to be a guy, like you said, who goes, I don't even really want to start that. I just saw what happened with Aaron Estrada. So I, I, I think that's kind of where my mind is at too, of it has to be the exact perfect fit. And a guy like Jacob Young is that fit. And if, again, I don't think, I think Oregon is in a position right now where like this, these aren't necessity additions as much as our yeah. luxury additions. And so like, I just don't know if it's a requirement to add another player right now, unless it's the exact perfect guy. And if it's not Jacob Young and, and maybe Bryce Hamilton's the other one that's a take, I think he's just roll it over and, Hey, the recruit, the turnover right now is crazy in college basketball. You might have a guy just transfer out of nowhere, decide to put his name in the draft and won't come back. I mean, I, I, mean, I don't know about that last part. I don't think it's possible because the draft date passed, but like you just don't know what's going to happen. And so you save that scholarship and Hey, maybe you take it this off season. Maybe you find someone during the season and, and you, and you can take somebody and have them play the next fall a earlier. So I think there's some, there's certainly some ways to get creative, but I, I'm with you. I just don't think it's not a luxury. Sorry. It's, it's a luxury, not a necessity in terms of the uh, adding to this roster. more. I think you nailed it. If they don't sign a Jacob Young, and I'll include Bryce Hamilton in the mix, um, but I think Jacob Young is so far ahead of where Bryce Hamilton's at right now in the pecking order. It's almost a Jacob Young or bust. If they if if it doesn't work out that way where they don't get Jacob Young, and I'd be pretty shocked. I mean, I'd place a crystal ball for Oregon to get Jacob Young. Yeah. Um, I'd be pretty shocked here. If it doesn't happen, though, I think it's more likely, and I think even if it if it does happen and they sign Jacob Young, I think it's more likely that they go out that they'll have three more scholarships available to them if they want for them to go out in mid year, right around December when guys start kind of figuring out what their roles are and, and kind of their futures within each program across okay. the country, and guys start hitting that portal. It wouldn't surprise me one bit if they go out and they land one or maybe even two guys mid-year transfers in December, November, January, and add those players to the roster and they sit out the 21, the remaining part of 21-22, and then they become eligible next year and they slide right in for a Will Richardson or a Jacob Young or a Quincy Guerrier who all probably and most likely will be off trying to play professional basketball. I think that's probably 
the more realistic outcome for Oregon if they even if they do sign Jacob Young. Just one thought on this before we can wrap it, because I know we, we talked about doing a 15 to 20 minute and we've already done more. So those listening can, can thank us for that. But I, I would I just think going forward, I think you always are going to carry an extra scholarship yeah. or two in the season because we've already talked about the transfer portal in the off season, but it gets like a lot of good players enter the portal pretty quickly. A lot of these like big time freshmen that are like five stars, they get to Kentucky or North Carolina. We saw it at Duke this year, although I don't think he transferred. He just put his name in the draft, um, Jaron Johnson. But like you see these guys who are elite recruits who get to the school and go, oh, this isn't really working out. And they go, I'm gonna, I think Johnny Juzang might've done that from Kentucky to UCLA, but you see that happen every year and yeah, save a scholarship and just see what happens. If you can go grab a guy who you were high on out of high school, who's quickly puts his name back out there. That's a big win for you for the next year. Yeah. And because a, it gets that guy into the system mid year and he starts learning what you're running during the season. And on top Mm -hmm. of that, he instantly joins your scout team that you use to prepare your players for the upcoming game with. And so it's, it's like, yeah, imagine if, I mean, this is what Oregon did when the COVID year got shut down at the very end of the year because of um, the tournament getting canceled and all that. When Peyton Pritchard and Anthony Mathis and Shakur Justin were on the team, every day in practice, they were going up against Eric Williams. And for part of it, um, they were going up against Eugene Amarui. Like, think about how much value Oregon got in using those two players on the scout team to prepare them for games and think about the value that those two guys got to get them ready for this past season. So I'm with you. If you've got the opportunity to bring in one or two transfers mid-year, you take it. And it looks like Oregon's going to have, if they sign Jacob Young, they'll have three available scholarships. If they don't, they'll have four where they could go out and they could bring in a couple extra guys mid-year, which always happens from a transfer's perspective, like Eric said. Um, so that's it. I think it's, it's Jacob Young or bust now for Oregon. From a recruiting perspective, if they get him, they're probably a, a top 10 team. I think they're already there, but that almost solidifies them as right. a top 10 preseason team. Uh, and you, 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 you get ready for a year in which Oregon is going to try and, and three-peat as Pac-12 regular season champions. Um, and, and Oregon's in that position now with Quincy Guerrier and, and certainly will be if, if they add uh, a guy like Jacob Young. That's going to do it for us here on this Odds and Audibles podcast. Thank you for checking out the show. Thank you for watching on YouTube. We really appreciate that as well. And until we do another show, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. 